0: Now, I love having kids in our gatherings. I love having kids leading us in worship. I want to thank you kids for uh, preparing so hard to lead us so well and singing a song that was so rich with the story of Advent, so rich with the the Christmas story. All the lyrics in the song that they sang, those lyrics were drawn from Luke chapter 2 and the version of Jesus' birth that's accounted there. And I would love to turn your attention to that passage for just a a brief few moments and and share that story with you and make some observations for you that might uh, encourage your Christmas celebration this year. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke 2. If not, don't sweat it. The words will be on the screen behind me. And uh, let me read these words to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, telling us about the birth of Jesus. The scriptures read, "In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire, that is, the Roman Empire, should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own home, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David." to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and kept watching at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy, and this joy will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord, This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So just for a few moments, I want you to to be like Mary. As all these events were transpired, she had just given birth to Jesus. Shepherds have come in celebration of that birth and to share a a message that the angel spoke to them. and, And we're told that Mary treasured everything she was hearing. And she meditated upon the huge implications that the birth of Jesus had not only for her but for the whole world. And and so I want you to meditate and treasure a few thoughts this evening. One of which is I want you to consider how significant it is that Jesus came in human history. Now this is an important feature that Luke points out. It's why Luke kind of provides the story with some timestamps. Because Luke intends for you and I to think about the birth of Jesus not as a story written by some fictitious, some, some fictitious story written by an author. That we're not talking about a story like the Lord of the Rings or like Harry Potter or like the Chronicles of Narnia. These, these, these figments and fruits of the human imagination written by human authors. We're talking about a real story that took place in real time and space. And Luke points this out a number in a number of ways. One of which is he identifies who, who's in charge of the empire. In verse 1, he points out that a decree came from Caesar Augustus that this was the ruler of the world at that point in time. Now, Caesar Augustus was is also known as Octavian, and he was the Roman emperor. If you know much about Roman history, he was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. This is the guy who... Historical records tell us defeated Antony and Cleopatra in order to acquire power. This is the first Caesar to be called Augustus, which would become a common title after him. And the reason why that's significant is because before him, the title Augustus was only used in reference to the gods. And so it tells us a little bit about how this guy viewed himself and how many people in the Roman Empire viewed him. They saw him as a god-like figure. They believe Caesar represented the image of what gods were like. And if you think about who Caesar was, the, the ruler of the Roman Empire who acquired that power through force, there's a stark contrast between him and this baby that is born in a manger in Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus might be described as one who, whose power was pompous and self-serving, And many people in the world assume that must be what God is like because this is his representative. But you and I know a better story. You and I know the story of the true God coming into the world, being born in a manger, not coming in pompous power, not coming even to serve himself. The God who would come to assume his throne, not by forcing it upon the world, but by winning it from the world through the life and the death and the resurrection he would, he would endure. And so we're told here that Mary and Joseph, after Caesar Augustus kind of made it a decree for everyone to be registered, Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem and because Caesar was calling for a registration. And the reason why he was calling for this at that time is, To better ensure that everyone was paying their fair share of taxes. That this was in large part a power move and a power grab on his part. So you want to think about that. Just kind of the context of how Caesar was viewed as a god. And and he's requiring people to be registered so that he can reap taxes from them. And just think about that. Caesar was viewed as a god and like all of our artificial gods. All of the little g gods in our lives that we make up and that we elevate and that we kind of exaggerate in our minds and we exaggerate, exaggerate with our attention and with our affections, all those artificial gods, they require so much from us while giving very little to us. This is certainly what Caesar Augustus was doing as the Roman Empire, requiring much from people all under his thumb and under his rule while giving very little back in return. But yet you know the true God, this true God is being born in a manger in Bethlehem. He He doesn't require much from us while giving little to us. In fact, the exact opposite is true. God requires very little from us, and that very little is what's called faith. And Jesus would teach about how it takes, how the faith the size of a mustard seed. Mustard seed faith is capable of moving mountains, That the God of the universe requires very little from us while giving everything to us. That he would give himself to us in the person of his son, this son who is being born in this moment. Now think about Bethlehem. Bethlehem was known as the city of David. It was prophesied hundreds of years prior that the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord would come to that town and not only would he come to that town, he would be born to a certain family who would come from the line of David, Israel's greatest king in their history. A couple of hundred, several hundred years prior to this moment, we have these words written in the Old Testament 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 I will raise up for you offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So God's talking to David there, and he's saying, I'm going to establish your offspring's kingdom. And listen to these words. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then you get into Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel. So when you think about the birth of Jesus happening in human history, know that he came at just the right time. He was, came just to the right place, and he was born to the right family. And you got to love this about our God, that our God does not stand remote and aloof, detached from what's happening in the real world of time and space. But God draws near to meet with people in the context of time and space. It's a remarkable thing. And our God as Christians continues to meet with us in time and space even now. As we've been given the Holy Spirit, and, which means that his presence is with us right here, right now, in real time and in real space. This means as you're sharing activities, sharing activities and meals with your family and friends, this means that God is with you. He's not remote from you. This means that as you're standing at bus stops, God is with you. He's not removed from you. This means while sitting at your cubicle, God is with you. He's not remote from you. This means while you're running on the treadmill, burning those Christmas calories, God is with you. He's not remote from you. God stepped into human history in the Many years ago, and he continues moving in human history right here, right now. And you think about the characters of the story. You have Caesar Augustus, you have Joseph and Mary, even the shepherds. Each one of them find themselves serving the story of Jesus. Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds are serving that story gladly and willingly. They're aware of what's happening. Caesar Augustus is serving the story too. He's just serving Jesus' story unwittingly. And what this reminds us, it helps us to think that when all is said and done, when all is said and done and time and space comes to an end as we know it right now, all of history will prove to be his story. It will prove to be the story of Jesus. And so you and I want to think about how we're using time and space right now. Are we allowing time and space to serve the story of Jesus, or are we off writing our own fictitious stories that will carry nowhere into into eternity? So Jesus was born in human history, but Jesus also came in humility. I love this dynamic of the gospel story, of the Christmas story. The fact that God would take on flesh and walk among us in any form is humble, humble in and of itself. He could have shown up like Caesar and that still would have been a humble move on the creator's part. But the fact that God would be born in a manger is even more extraordinary. We're talking about the one who said to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, the one who said that is now being wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's humility, that's condescension. And you think about the sight, sounds and smells of, of birth and how all of that is mixing in with the sight and the sounds and the smells of base animal activities, all of that surrounding the birth of God in the world. These humble circumstances reminding us that Jesus came in humility and the humble circumstances of his birth all foreshadowed the humble the humble circumstances of his life. As Jesus would grow up and he would experience the full range of human development, Jesus would go through puberty. He would do all the things that you've experienced as you have grown up as a human being in this world. And he would live his life essentially as an impoverished rabbi. We're told that there was no place for him to lay his head. So not only did he have no place at the end in the story we're told in most of his ministry Jesus had no place to lay his head and, and you think about those humble circumstances all coming to a climax when this baby born in a manger would go to the cross and he would die a death in utter humility and from the world's perspective he would die a death in utter humiliation being crucified on a Roman cross Think about this humility because there's an inseparable bond between humility and a person's identity. The reason Jesus was able to do all that he did for you and for me is because he knew who he was before his father. Jesus knew that he was the son of God. He knew the father of heaven belonged to him and that the father of heaven was for him. And when you understand who you are before God, then in humility, you can engage with a world that is inhospitable. And when you, as a follower of Jesus, see yourself as a son of God or a daughter of God and you are a part of the family of God, that will enable you to endure a world that in many ways and on many occasions is inhospitable, is hard to deal with. But when you know who you are before God, you're not threatened by an inhospitable world. You are able to love a world, even if the world is rejecting you or mistreating you or harming you or pushing you out from it. Identity and humility are intertwined and one of the reasons why humility may be lacking in our lives is because our identity isn't centered in Christ. But if you are a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you with that dynamic. In Christ, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a a member of his family. And when that identity grips you, then you can have the humility needed to love a world that may not be loving you back, which is exactly what Jesus does for us. He loved a world that was not readily loving him back. How could he do that? Well, humility and identity were clear in his life. And then the third dynamic I would encourage you with, not only did Jesus come in history and he came in humility Jesus came heroically i love what the shepherd what the angel of the lord would say to the shepherds he would say today in the city of david a savior was born but notice it is a savior that is born for you reminding us of the heroism of Jesus that came into the world not to serve himself, but to serve people like you and me. He came into the world not to save himself in any discernible way, but to give himself so that you and I might be saved, that we might be rescued. This is incredible heroism that Jesus would live for and die for. This is heroism that the angels would start singing about and celebrating that God's grace would come in this form. You know, heroism is most evident not when a strong man overpowers a weaker man. Heroism is most evident when the strongest man restrains his power in order to save the weaker man. That's what Jesus did. The strongest person in the universe did not come into the world to overpower us. He came into the world restraining his power so that he could rescue you and I in and from our weaknesses. Namely, our weakness of sin and our weakness against Satan and ultimately our weakness in death. Jesus came to rescue us. This baby was born to die on the cross at the hands of weaker people, restraining himself for that purpose. And But we know that this baby who grew up and was crucified, he did not stay dead. He would rise and he would continue to rise so that now he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God, ruling and reigning over all of reality. And as we think about him being born in Bethlehem on that day, we also want to think about the day when he returns. And all of history is revealed to be his story. And humility is revealed to be the defining characteristic of everyone who would be in relationship with him. And heroism would be celebrated, not the heroism of you or me or anyone else, but the heroism of Jesus would be celebrated forever and always. So let me encourage you to treasure in your heart and to meditate deeply upon these realities of of history and humility and heroism. Keep in mind this Christmas celebration that history is his story. And examine your life to find out if you were a willing servant of that story like Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds. Or are you an unwitting servant of that story like Caesar Augustus? Meditate on humility. Do you know who you are before your God? Do you know who you are in Christ as a son and a daughter? And Are you secure enough in that identity so that you're not threatened when the world proves to be inhospitable? And then I want you to think about Jesus' heroism, that you are not the strong one in the relationship with God. You are the weak one. He is the strong one. He is the hero. So you put your faith and your trust in all that Jesus lived for and died for, and he rose from the grave for. Let's treasure these truths. Let's meditate upon them deeply as we continue worshiping together tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.